0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice?
1: Check when the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores!
0: moment's no. It on Z to the line
1: Hughes Joseph Takeson First career NHL goal. Quinn Hughes
0: makes it
1: one-nothing.
0: You're listening to Canuck's conversation. You're here, like, I don't, I cover the yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just
1: wave the guy and get Demko involved. i wanted him of them in and down. The
0: wow. Really?
1: We should do a radio show
0: together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now.
1: Thurl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! We'll
0: Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Lots of exciting stuff going on right now at Zephyr Epic. Those new Panini cards, you know, we're a hockey podcast. We talk a lot of hockey on this podcast, talk about the upper deck cards. The Panini Prism Basketball Raffle is here at Zephyr Epic. You should go check that out. Go to ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Also, we're delivered to you by DoorDash. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, followed by two capital Ds, all first-time users of the app, 25% off, and free delivery on your order. Doesn't get much better than that. My name is David Quadrelli, and I am actually not joined by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Decided to go to Whistler, and I told me, gave me like three days' notice and told me to get a co-host. So I'm joined by Kevin Woodley of InGoal Magazine. Kev, thanks for making the drive out here.
2: I, i'm i didn't know about the whistler thing i gotta be honest yeah. with you like i'm i'm bordering between jealous that he's up there and also
0: like like forget my invite where was yours yeah well he's with his girlfriend it's her birthday so i, I don't think she'd want me there
2: yeah you guys have hit that stage eh? yeah.
0: yeah yeah he's starting to starting to choose the girlfriend over me Kind of hurts a little bit.
2: I I, I remember that actually. I'm be honest with you, I'm so old, I don't even remember that. So like I, <laughs> I'm coming up on my 20th wedding anniversary in February. So yeah, I'm just gonna like like rocking chair, like the old man in here, and <laughs> pretend like I remember that, but I, I actually don't. So hope he has a fantastic weekend. And I guess in the meantime, you have to put up with me
0: for a change. So that's hey. We have clear instructions. From Chris, the uh, Overlord here at Canucks Conversation, he said, "Okay, you can have Woodley, but try not to just talk about goaltenders. So we'll do our best." Chris can go. F- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not swearing. We we're a family show. We, we have a family show at the Goal Radio Podcast,
2: so I understand yep. how that's important.
0: We we try not we try not to swear on here. But uh, okay, so this is something that I did want to get your opinion on because we'll just jump right into it. Usually, Chris and I for the first ten minutes of the podcast, we talk about like food and stuff and just. Anything but hockey. We can't do that. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. I know. So. And, and we're like, we're, we're kind of tight on time here. So I'll jump right into it. A lot of people talking about these defense pairings and how they're going to be better in front of Thatcher Demko. And now they have Yaro Halak, obviously. But the Canucks are going to be better defensively. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that statement? Yeah, I think
2: they are going to be better defensively. I do don't know how they could be worse defensively yeah i've got them as the 31st ranked team it's not a real high bar here guys like we're talking about a a pretty low bar to improve on um i do like the addition of brad shaw as a new voice um i mean there's not many returning defensemen but i think as a new voice uh for some of them and particularly quinn hughes um, who, you know, I think it's been well documented that on, on that side of the puck, there were some things that were lacking. And, you know, it's not just in terms of um, some of his defensive play in terms of one-on-one defending. It was more to me and some of the conversations that I've had and watching was, you know, sort of going outside the system, freelancing. Um, there's a, you know, they they play his own defense and he'd chase one-on-one. And as soon as one guy's not doing what everyone else is supposed to be doing, now everybody else is making up for you. So, I think adding a new voice was important in terms of trying to rein in some of those habits. Mm-hmm. A voice as good as Shaw is and as, as well-respected as Shaw is should help in that regard. And it's a probably a pretty big task too because of all the other pieces he has to incorporate. So like, I'll be honest with you, like, I don't know how they could be worse defensively. They were the worst um, in terms of chances and in and terms of the, the chances that matter, the high danger ones. Um, so there's nowhere to go but up and it's now up to the coaching staff to find the right
0: mix with these players to achieve that. Do you worry at all? Because I've been saying the same same thing as you. I've been saying, you know, all they have to do to be better is not be the absolute worst. So it's a low bar, but... Do you at all worry about the personnel that they've brought in? Because a lot of people will point to this defense core and say, look, Tucker Pullman's never played real top four minutes. He's never been that shutdown guy, and it's looking like he's going to be that shutdown guy on a pairing with OEL. Now, you're going with the experience in OEL, and Hamanek didn't really play first pairing minutes last year. What, like, Do you look at this defense core and kind of say, okay, like, I'm not sure about these guys that they've chosen to target and go after and bring in. I think it's pretty easy
2: to look at them as individuals and have very fair questions about how they'll be better based on their past results. The one part I don't know any of us have an answer to is how they fit it together. And this is where the coaching staff's going to mm-hmm. earn its money, whether it's Bradshaw coming in or Travis Green getting a new contract, is if what we know to be true about them in terms of their individual metrics in the past holds up, then you need them to be better than the sum of their parts, right? Like they need to, and that goes to forwards too. To me, the best coaching job I'd seen was Vigneault, you know, in that heyday of back-to-back presidents trophies. And it wasn't because they had a juggernaut that could just roll over everyone. It's because of all the offensive players that bought in defensively and took care of both ends in the rink now listen it's easier when you're playing most of the time in the other end of the rink um to not have to worry about how you defend but like that's what they're going to need they're going to need all this young talent and the forward lines look fantastic like the options look fantastic they look like they could be a really good offensive team but if we have another season where jt miller's randomly throwing pucks you know back to the blue line and they're being picked off and odd man rushes and Like, if they play like that, I don't care how good you are offensively. You're going to be fishing the puck out of your own net more often than not. And that's where I think it's fair to say, as much as you can criticize some of the signings based on the individuals, it's now on the staff to get more out of that group than those individual numbers might indicate, whether it's a Tucker Pullman. Obviously, OEL is the big gamble. Um, My fear with him uh, is more... Where is he at health wise? You heard him talk in the introductory press conference about changing some of his training habits and how he was working out so much. Like, I don't think it's been discussed much, but my understanding, like nagging injuries, are a big part of that decline. And so, and and I don't get the sense they're past tense. And so, this group's ability um, to sort of get him healthy and playing well maybe not like nobody's pretending that we're going back to yeah. the guy Jim Benning said should have been a Norris trophy finalist if he played in the East, but get him back to a point where he's, you know, maybe again, maybe not living up to his contract, even, but a really good top four and can yeah. play in a shutdown role. Then, then that's a win, but that's the one to me the the nagging injuries to me are the, you know, just based on some of the information I have and some of the things I've heard and, um, you know, they made some changes in their training staff that kind of went under the radar last year. Um, I'm hoping that, that one of the individuals involved with is back. Uh, cause I know, you know, I know Tyler Myers has worked with him in the past. Um, I, I know, I know, I, I can give you like, I know three goaltenders that would tell you there that he saved their careers. Like he's, he's really a bit of a magician on soft tissue stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm kind of hoping that they can put those two hands together, Oliver, Oliver Ekman-Larsen uh, and the gentleman that was working with them last year. I hope they bring him back because I think him healthy and 100% and sort of rediscovering the ability to play without having to worry about the nagging injuries might be a key to um, getting that or at least more of that potential out of him.
0: Yeah, I, I think there is some. there's a chance that he bounces back and I don't think anybody's going to deny that. But when we look at this forward group, like Chris and I talk about this, it feels like every week. It's so much more improved now. And when we kind of look at last season, how much do you kind of chalk that up to? It was a strange year. They lost Pedersen for half the year. As soon as he was starting to heat up, like how much do you, how much weight do you put into what we saw last year, and say this is the Canucks that we should expect, or this this isn't a true indication of what the Canucks are.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I think even there were holes there among the forward group that I think are plugged now, no, like yeah. like, like the hole on Bo Horvat's wing, right, like it's Connor Garland solves that problem again yeah. on paper i I think they're better than they were last year, and so, in terms of what happened last year, I think part of that is. Listen, like last year was weird. It was an anomaly. I've talked about this with Braden Holpe, right? Like, I think he makes the adjustments to Ian Clark's changes much easier if he's got a preseason to get comfortable with. It. Mm-hmm. I think this team missed a preseason. and Again, that's going to be so important this year because there are so many new faces, and you're going to need to get buy-in in your own end. When you're the 31st-ranked defensive team with a bullet – you're going to need buy-in. It's not just about personnel. Yeah. It's about everybody being on the same page. I mean, we talk about the Colorado Avalanches, you know, Stanley Cup favorites this year, and obviously didn't pan out. We talk about the Toronto, again, like these are not great examples because they didn't they didn't get there. But for all the focus on the, the firepower in Colorado and the firepower in Toronto, what improved for them both as teams this season were their defensive play. And... That's with all the superstars. Now it didn't translate again, it didn't translate in the playoffs, but I think you can fall in love with all these groups of players and all the potential mixes and all they could bring offensively. But I think you saw this last year. I mean, it was yeah, the depth was very questionable like yeah. among the forwards. Wasn't the depth guys that were creating the turnovers that were leading to odd man rushes over and over and over again? Like, so you need you know, as much as I talked about Quinn Hughes sticking with the system in his own end and not chasing one-on-one, yeah. you know, around his own zone and pulling everybody else out of position, like, you're not dangling your way despite this much-improved top nine. You're not dangling your way to the to the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're going to need those guys, especially with all the question marks behind them, to perform as a five-man unit. And I may just sound like the goalie guy because, you know, you need... You need more cohesion than they've had in their own end. But part of that is forwards creating better gaps. Like there was no back pressure last year. Yeah. Part of it was the, the, the turnovers being so horrendous at times that there was no chance. Like you put yourself in such bad spots, but other part of it is a lack of team speed, like amongst the four group, like they created no back pressure, which puts more pressure on your back end because teams are able to sort of pull up and freewheel and pick spots and fo- and find seams Cause there's no back pressure. Like there's a, there was a lot wrong with this team defensively and that includes the forward groups. So, and again, maybe that is the goalie union card. Cause I want a better environment for the goaltenders yeah. here. Um, but that includes everyone. So you, you can, we all love to, and I've seen it all over. Like what's, what's the top nine look like? What do the lines look like? You know, who's in what hole when they figure that out. As long as the holes they plug guys into include someone and enough people taking care of their own end. Like, again, you are not, nobody ever does. You don't score your way, unless you're Tampa. And by the way, they happen to be really good defensively. and have Andre Vasilevsky. Like, you don't just score your way out of, you know, you can't score your way to wins in the National Hockey League. You have to be able to defend. And that's not just in the
0: regular season, but in the playoffs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Name you brought up there, Braden Holtby. His first year did not go super well with the Canucks. I was talking to Ian the other day about this and bringing in Yaro Halak. I think Ian really likes Yaro Halak. So before we get to Halak talk, what do you think went wrong for Braden Holpe this year?
2: Yeah, I think Brayden said it himself uh, after the Toronto games, when it, when it looked like things were starting to turn around, it was just really hard to adjust his game as much as he needed, or they wanted him to adjust. And I do believe he bought in. So I believe that's a, those are one and the same what they requested, what they thought was needed, and and what he was willing to do, but get comfortable with it. Um, You know, like, I remember the year he won the Stanley Cup. We had him in Kelowna for the summer, and he made a whole bunch of changes to his game and kind of blew me away at at his body control and ability to adapt in a hurry. But then when he got into training camp and live action and the bullets were flying for real and in the preseason, he went back to a lot of the ways he was doing things before because he wasn't fully comfortable. And they worked the whole season instead of the wholesale changes that he had made in the summer. So remarkably that disappeared in the preseason, they spent the whole season chipping away at adding some of those pieces, but not all back into his game. And he rediscovered enough of them. And, and he obviously is just an incredible, you know, like there's all, all kinds of natural skill there. He wants to want to stay on the cup that year. Um, none of that process that I just talked about that he had the whole year to go through, which included losing the job going into the playoffs. Yeah. There's no time for any of that to play out here. No preseason, no chance to experiment with changes and get comfortable. They got off to a bad start as a team. So the pressure was there immediately out of the gate that like every start was a must win and he just never got comfortable with it. I don't think it's a coincidence that it took till sort of after coming out of COVID and a break for him to at least look like he had found a better balance between the instinctual goaltender he's always been. And the technical foundation, they were trying to lay underneath of that. And it'll be curious to see how much of those changes he sticks with in Dallas or whether he goes back to being sort of a pure feel freelance guy uh, hmm. and just trust that. So, um, you know, and he was doing it all behind the 31st ranked defensive yeah. environment. So yeah. tough way to make changes. And he, And I gotta say, like, there are a lot of games, like, man, he just didn't get a break. Like he just couldn't get a break when he really could have used one and it just kind of snowballed on him for a large, large chunk of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with Yarrow Halak coming in, not really similar. I don't want to say because two very, very different goaltenders. Totally different stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was talking to Ian just about, you know, bringing in Yarrow Halak and this is a guy Ian Clark told Jim Benning he wanted, like this is who they wanted to target. And he had nothing hey, But Out of a very select list. Yes, absolutely. Like, absolutely. The, the
2: parameters here were 35-plus with a back... You know, so you could backload the bonuses. Yes. I mean, so we're talking about Yarrow Halak out of a field of Yarrow Halak, Brian Elliott, and Curtis McElhenney. Yes. So, like, I just kind of chuckled when he said that because there was a time when Jim got up and said that Louis Domingue was the guy that Ian wanted. On, and again, yeah. on a Good very point. narrow list. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I sort of bristle a little... I, Again, I'm not trying to say it wasn't, but that was a pretty short list that he picked Yarrow yeah, Black up. That's fair. That's very
0: fair. But when I was talking to Ian, he did, you know, he had nothing but good things to say about Yarrow. And he thinks that he's a prime candidate to kind of bounce back and be a really, really solid backup behind Thatcher Demko. And just he was talking about the way Yarrow is able to kind of adapt and his reads. Ian said it's better than. A lot of goaltenders he's seen. I don't want to say any goaltender because I don't think that's what he said, but he did say that Yarrow's reads are kind of what keeps him in the league. So, what do you know about Yarrow Halak? Do you like the signing for the Canucks?
2: Well, he makes the reads. Like, I mean, the difference between him and Hope is where he makes the reads from. Like, Yarrow's always been a middle-neck guy that never takes himself out of a play. So, Braden's, I think, reads the game exceptionally well, too, but he does it with a lot more flow and movement. Like, Yarrow, Yarrow's a Roley really Mwanson goalie. Like, three-quarter depth. Like, that's who found him in Montreal, brought him over discovered him in europe trained him in the early years like that's very much his foundation um he's a guy who can be exposed around the corners but is very rarely going to beat himself like you can beat him but he won't beat himself you know the only question here will be again defensive environment um you know ian's a much better judge of talent than i am and so if he Thinks those reads are a separator for Yarrow, then that's great. I think his technical foundation is already pretty established. There has been some resistance in past years with other goalie coaches to making big changes into his game. Um, I don't think that's something he ever worries about. I think he gets pretty immediate buy-in, but uh, you know that's that's there. That's in the back pocket. Like I think he's pretty set in some of his ways. Mm. I'd expect his post play to improve under Ian. There were some habits there that are still a little old school and that can make a big difference. You know, the biggest fear for me is, um, twofold. One, uh, you know, Boston isn't what it used to be defensively. So in terms of environment, it's not like he was playing, you know, behind the 95 devils there for the past couple of years. Um, but it was a lot friendlier than, than what he's going to see, or at least what, he would have seen the The past past two years in Vancouver. Second one is um, just last season. And I think much like the Canucks start in COVID, I think you've got to just accept that that was a blip. Um, But at 36, in the back of your mind, you always worry a little bit. Uh, Last season wasn't good. Uh, He was 58th out of 68 goalies on the Clearside Analytics chart in terms of adjusted save percentage. He was well below expected. There were only 10 guys out of, out of goalies that shot saw 200-plus shots. He was in the bottom 10 out of those 68 goalies. That's a little scary. Lost the job, that backup job that he'd held on to so well. Like, in the years previous, his adjusted numbers were right there with Tuka Rask, at yeah. least on a save percentage basis. Not on a goal save, because obviously he doesn't have the volume that Tuka does. But, like, there were times when he challenged Tuka for the number one job. Like he was excellent. And last year, it all went off the rails. So if you're the Canucks, you're counting on that being just circumstances in a weird year Um, and you better hope so because the guy he lost the job to last year had less pro experience than Michael DiPietro does right now and you've basically put a glass ceiling in front of Mikey DiPietro by giving Halak that no move clause that pretty much locks him in as your backup for the year. So you're counting on last year not being a blip and I think there's enough track record of Yarrow being excellent that that's a safe bet but if it is more than a blip, and it's the start of the decline, you've locked yourself into a backup who was not good last year. And that was behind a team that was, again, not what the Bruins are sort of noted for defensively, mm-hmm. but a hell of
0: a lot better than what he would have been behind here. It's interesting you bring up Mikey DiPietro. That's another guy I was talking to this week. And he's coming into Vancouver. He wants to make the team. Like he, he When I started this story that I'm doing, I was thinking, okay, I'll do a feature on the Abbotsford goaltender. So I started talking about Abbotsford. He didn't really want to talk about Abbotsford. He was saying, I'm coming to camp to make the Vancouver Canucks. And that That's
2: no I know move clause becomes a little bit of a problem there.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was talking to Ian about that as well. And he said, I, I never want to count out Mike DiPietro. Um, You know, he says, if there's anybody that could make, like, that could force a tough decision like that, it would be Mikey DiPietro. But the, what is the decision? I mean, you're not carrying three.
2: Yeah, that becomes difficult with that. Listen, the reality of next season is, and we could probably... There's twofold here. One, if you hadn't pooched last season with Mikey Pietro, you'd have a better understanding. This is probably a little harsh to I me, mean, but if you hadn't <laughs> pooched it so badly, yeah. you'd have a better understanding of where he was. The truth is, he may be ready for this because he's Mikey Pietro. And I think internally they think it's possible too. But when you go in as heavy as they did to make the playoffs this year, there's no way you can take that chance. They had to do this. If this is what it took, if Yaro Halak was number one on Ian's list, however deep that list of choices was, and I really don't know. That was me talking, not any yeah, information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if he was number one, and the cost of getting his best choice, the guy he said could do the job for you, was a no-move clause, I'm not criticizing it. That's the cost of it. Because he had other options. Tampa was interested. Um, and you know, you go to Tampa, you're looking at the possibility of being yeah. a Stanley Cup champion again. Yeah. So um, if that was the cost of it, then that's the cost of doing business. But again, I said it last year, the cost of not getting Michael DiPietro games was the uncertainty you face now and the need to go out and make that decision. Long term, maybe it's not a big deal because Mikey goes down and plays all those games in the American Hockey League. Gets that full season under his belt. He's nearby. You can bring him in for practices. Um, you can get him time with Ian Clark. Love the decision to finally move the team here. It was yeah. long overdue in my in my mind. Um, to you know, we talked about the shuttle. Obviously, the shuttle's not happening. You're not going to do what Ian did with uh, Jonas Corpusalo in Columbus, what Nashville did with uh, UC Soros, where he would be with the team all week. But then if Pekka was playing on a Saturday night, UC would go down to the farm and play three on the weekend. Keep mm. getting your games while still sort of being the backup. But don't don't be the backup who plays 20 times a year and then you're worried about the games played. He was getting them in the A. They did it with Corpusello as well in Columbus. You got an ideal setup for that here, just not contractually with Yarrow Halak. And again, I understand why you couldn't take that risk. I, I think it would have been a, a good situation. And I think in that situation... Michael DiPietro probably emerges by the end of the year as your guy. Probably not going to happen right now, but the reality of this season coming up, they couldn't afford to have the whole thing go to crap because Thatcher has a four-week injury or a six-week yeah. injury. They needed the insurance policy. Yarrow has shown he can be that guy to four to six weeks. Strong history there. Um, by sort of having it uh, set up this way with those two, you've got that insurance policy, and the reality of this situation and their travel whether it's Yarrow or whether it's Thatcher, you're probably going to need a three at some point anyways. Cause last year we thought last year was condensed. Like, has anybody really looked at what this year is going to be like for goaltenders? You've got a condensed season that starts late and doesn't finish that late. You've got an all-star game in Vegas. You've got the Olympics for three weeks Mm. and you've got no taxi squad goalies to give them rest for practice. Like, this is probably going to be the toughest year for goaltenders in terms of workload and rest and not getting time with a goalie coach that we've seen in in, as long as I can remember. Like, at least going back, so we're, we're what, going to be eight years since they they were last in an Olympics? Like, this is going to be, season doesn't start until, like, what, late October? Yeah. Like, it's normally, like, our first week in October. Yeah. And we're going to cram in an All-Star game and an Olympics? And we're going to have all the regular travel, none of the stay in a city for three days. And we're not going to have a taxi squad goalie to take reps. Like this is going to be the year. I hope some teams invest in a practice goalie because it's going to be important. It's also going to be a year where I expect teams to get down into three and four on their depth chart, a lot more than they have in the past.
0: Mm. We'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. We do have to cut to cut to the ads right now, so we will do that. You'll hear from Say, Chris. Because
2: somebody's got to pay Faber to go to a Whistler, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: Faber's on the ad, so people will hear Chris Faber. Keep it locked. Keep it loaded on the Canucks Conversation. All right, folks, that's
1: right. We got a new ad finally here for Parallel 49 Beer. You want to get down to the street kitchen, folks. It's more than just a street kitchen now. Now it is a full-on beer gardens. Absolutely beautiful. You've seen Quads and I tweeting about it. The food's amazing. A ton of beers on tap. Quads as well. You've had uh, not only beers, but what other drinks did you like there?
0: had the Muddler's Pink Lemonade. That was very good. You need to go get the food, though. The food at the Parallel 49 Street Kitchen? Ridiculous. What did we eat that one day? Poutine? cheeseburger, well, I ate it all, waffle fries, and then we got those Korean barbecue wings.
1: Yeah, the spicy chicken burger, that's my go-to. But Delicious. what you do, a little trick for everyone, you swap out the jalapenos for their pickled cucumbers. Very, very good. Highly recommend that. That's down at 1950 Triumph Street off an East Van. That's Parallel 49 at 1950 Triumph Street. Check them out in East Van and go down and try some beers and be sure to get some food down on that beautiful patio.
0: The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs.
1: Squish beverage, my new favorite drink of the summer, absolutely crushable, the right drink to bring down to the beach, the right drink to bring down to the river, camping, whatever you're doing this summer. Squish is the beverage for you. They have original hard seltzers and a bunch of different flavors, but the lemonade ones, those are my favorite quads.
0: Me too. I can drink more than one of those. They're crushable.
1: Which is good. So when you go down to the beach, you're bringing how many? More than one. More
0: than one. Unlike last
1: time. Absolutely. This is the hard seltzer for you. This is the hard seltzer for summer. Go out and try Squish. You can find the original flavors of hard seltzer at BC Liquor Stores. But if you want to do a little bit of digging, that's where you're going to find the lemonades, my favorite. And you can find those at private liquor stores all across British Columbia.
0: All right. And a massive thank you to all of our sponsors at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Kevin, I don't know how much you listen to the show, but uh, this is the part of the show where I forgot to tweet the poll question. So we have a segment. We tweet out the poll question because both Faber and I forgot to do it before we started recording. Usually around this part, usually around the halfway part. So I just realized that I didn't put it out. So I'm going to tweet that out. Uh, any ideas for the poll question? We do it live on the show. Like we come up with it live and then we do the results. We'll do the results in about 20 minutes.
2: Yeah. See, this is why I'm a low level writer and not in charge of anything bigger than writing and talking about goalies. Cause that, this requires
0: a little more brain power than I'm able to muster right now. I'm, I'm going with are your business here poll question in, in light of what we've talked about. Do you like the Yaro Halak signing? And we'll even mention that there's a no movement clause. Cause a lot of people didn't even realize that. Like we had Harmon in here last week and we were talking or midweek, like three days ago and we were talking about the yarrow Halak deal and how we liked it and oh, maybe maybe they can keep get Mikey up after this and this will happen but that really isn't an option with that no move clause well i mean it's i mean the option part is moving Yarrow down
2: it doesn't mean you can't find spots for Mikey like i said i expect they're you know to expect everyone to get through this season unscathed might be um unrealistic just given the mm-hmm. schedule but well, yeah, no, and hey, listen, I don't want, like, I got to make sure I pass on credit for this. I didn't realize it either when the contract was first announced. It was Thomas Durant in The Athletic that, uh, you know, wrote about the no-move clause, and I didn't realize it was there either. And again, it's only a problem uh, if you get a repeat of last year for Jaroslav for Halak. Um, if Michael DiPietro goes into the A and tears it up, and Yarrow plays really well here, like, you'll have options to move him as well. Or, if there's an injury, you've got three deep. Like there's a there's a lot of positives to that. It only becomes a negative. And like I said, the no move, that's the cost of doing business sometimes. it's Only a negative if he doesn't perform. And so now it's on, just as I said earlier, it's on the coaching staff to make this group defensively more than the sum of its parts, maybe on paper as a defense core and how the forwards have to play a role in that. Now it's on the goalie team. It's on Ian Clark and Yaroslav Halak to make sure that, Whatever happened last year, and let's be honest, it was a weird year. Um, that the Vancouver Canucks get the Yaroslav Halak that went toe to toe with Tuukka Rask and adjusted save percentage numbers for like three of the past four years, and that not the guy who bottomed out last season and lost his job to Jeremy Swayman. And hey, no shame in losing your job to Jeremy Swayman either. Um, not just because he was been a regular at InGoal and InGoal Premium and the <laughs> InGoal Radio podcast, but he's a hell of a young prospect.
0: Now. What do you think the chances of him bouncing back are? Like if you if you were a betting man, are you confident that you're... like if, if you're talking to Canucks fans right now, which you are, you're on Canucks Conversation Podcast, are you confident that Yarrow Halak can bounce back? I'm
2: pretty confident. Again, because last year was so weird and it was such a blip for him. Like it was a it was such a drop, like it was it was precipitous, but it the the years before that were so steady and so consistent. Um, I don't think we're talking about the types of you know, wholesale changes hope he was allowed to make. These are going to be small tweaks. Like There's a lot already there for Yarrow foundation-wise. I don't think Ian's going to have to rebuild anything. And Yarrow, again, as much as Ian talked about his reads being exceptional, I don't think he's as reliant on them because he plays a safer game. And I don't think any of that should have disintegrated the way it did last year. And so I'm willing to bet that that was more a circumstance thing. And I would, I would, I think it's a safe bet that even if you don't get quite the guy who was pushing Rask for, for starts in the number one job just three years ago, you get solid backup out of Yaroslav Halak teamed up with Ian Clark for a year.
0: Now, I know this is a question that will be answered by Yaros play, and we will close out on the Halak talk. We, I think we spent half an hour talking about a backup goaltender, which I don't think Chris is going to like too much. Favor is going to be very pissed. And I think this episode is going to be you know called Yaroslav Halak has a no-movement clause because we didn't know that when <laughs> we recorded on Wednesday. We had no clue. Um, but this is my question for you. Do you think there's a market, whether that's before the trade deadline or at the trade deadline? For Yaroslav Halak and a chance to call up Mikey DiPietro, and with that, I know this is all dependent on Mikey's play and it's dependent on Yaro's play. But do you think that the Canucks would be comfortable going in? Say they're in the playoff playoff hunt. Do you think they would be comfortable shipping out Yaro and bringing up Mikey?
2: See that's kind of a that's a double edged sword because if there's a market for Yaroslav Halak at the deadline, it's because he's bounced back mm-hmm. and he's playing like the guy who was pushing to Rask, not the guy who was 58th last year. And if you've got that guy and you're heading into the playoffs and that's your insurance policy, pretty tempting to keep him. So Mikey would have to be setting the world on fire to be willing to part with that type of insurance policy, especially since we've seen that goaltending is a depressed market like even if Yarrow tears it up i don't think you're getting a first round pick for him mm-hmm. so then if you think you're a playoff team is the insurance policy that you've had all year worth more to you than whatever asset you're going to what other whatever asset you're getting back for trading him at the deadline and again you know if he's playing so well that it's a high high pick like a third round pick um, he's probably playing well enough that you want him there just in case, you know, cause again, the, the playoffs will be a grind, right? What happened the last time the Canucks were there That your Demko wasn't the guy going in, but he was the guy at the end of it. So having that insurance policy and pressure tested like Halak is my bet would be, they would just keep him anyways, even if the market opened up. Cause the only way the market opens up is if he plays great and you're probably going to want that on your bench.
0: Yeah, I was kind of looking at it as a similar situation to Anders Nilsson, depending on how the goaltenders end up playing. We're going to go across the country here. What went wrong for David Riddick last year?
2: I don't know. And I think there's a lot of goalie coaches around the league that aren't sure either. David Riddick has a skill set and a, and a skill package that a lot of goalie coaches liked. Um, for the past couple of years, like a lot of them did. And I wasn't surprised to see Toronto sort of grab him. Um, there seem to be the, the questions about his skill and ability between the pipes. There aren't many. It seems to be more about his ability to sort of keep it together between the ears and fair or not, there are some habits that he likes. And it's funny cause they were celebrated as quirky when he tore it up after first getting called up to Calgary. Uh, having the goalie coach hit you in the head twice with a puck on a morning skate as a ritual, um, can make for a funny story and a quirky headline. But when you start, you know, his adjusted numbers crater when the game is tight and late in periods, they're really good overall, but they drop off in those situations in pressure moments. And they have for a number of years now, that's a bit of a warning sign. And I think there are enough people that heard that story about hit me in the head twice with a puck and thought, you know, that fine line as a goaltender between routine and superstition and anybody that crosses it, um, people start to worry about uh, just how calm and level-headed they are. And so you add those numbers, the statistics and how they change in pressure moments and tied games and latent periods um, to sort of some of those indicators. And those are where I think the questions about David Riddick exist. They're not his ability to move or... Like, I had guys compare his style and technique, or especially the first couple of years. They thought he looked like sort of a, a poor man's Carey Price. Like, there's a lot of elements of his game that other teams are interested in, but the inability to sort of put it all together has left more doubts than, than answers
0: at this point. Okay, we're going to move on to a different subject, it's still goaltender related. Sorry, Chris. This is a question. It's the most important position on the ice, Chris. Yeah, Chris. Chris, Chris is driving home from Whistler listening to this right now, and he's just pissed. He's pissed right now. But this is a question Chris and I, and I think we had Harmon in when we talked about this as well, but we were talking about the goaltenders in the Pacific division, and we didn't think it was a very bold take to say that Thatcher Demko is the best goalie in the Pacific. Now, John Gibson, I think, is the only guy that gives Thatcher a run for his money. Boy, isn't that going to be an interesting decision for USA Hockey? Exactly. That 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 was partly what I was going to ask you is when you look at this, like when you look at these two goaltenders, because I think it's safe to say those are the two that we should be evaluating here as the best in the division. For Pacific, okay. Yeah, for yeah, Pacific. There's other, there's other lists on that name for,
2: for USA Hockey and the Olympics, but in the Pacific? Yes.
0: Yeah? In the Pacific, it's those two.
2: Now, it's not... Totally discount Philip Grubauer in the Pacific with Seattle now. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, as a Vesna Trophy finalist, either that's a good
0: point. So, out of those three, who are you taking? Who's the best goalie in the Pacific? I'll ask you flat out.
2: I'm probably taking Demko. I'm probably biased because I watch him on a day on day in day out basis in practice. I've watched the evolution. Um, your sort of caveat there is it's only one year um, at this level when you talk to him and this goes back to the draft like I'll never forget uh, Canucks sort of talking about I can't remember which member of their staff at the time talked about him being technically sound and Mm. And then seeing him at his first development camp, and just being like, Whoa, hold on, like what, what were they, what were they watching? And then having the same conversation with Dan Clute at the time, going, hold on, like we were both on the same boat there. But when you look at how far he's come, like the drive, the motivation, everything he's done. I remember that first year, he used to take the, he had the diary where he'd watch games and make notes on other goalies, like. Those, those, I'm biased towards those no stone unturned guys, and Thatcher's one of them. You team that desire, willingness to change, work ethic, and natural skill with Ian Clark's push, it's just a really nice fit. Uh, you heard him sort of plea for them to re-sign Ian Clark. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, like I, clearly, I think that Ian's one of, if not the best, in the business. But there are a lot of goalies that work with him that wouldn't be making that plea publicly because um, he's a taskmaster. I think they're a great fit. I think he's going to continue to get better. I would pick him, but until you've done it, you haven't done it, and he's only done it once. And sometimes it's hard. And he's only done it with no fans in the stands, mm-hmm. not as much travel. Um, doing it in this season is going to be a lot harder. So um,
0: that said, I I kind of have a feeling he will. That would be my hunch. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. So we're gonna we're gonna get to the results of the poll question because we're we're gonna close out here. A little bit of a shorter episode today. Are your business here? Poll question featuring guest host Kevin Woodley. Do you like the Yaroslav Halak contract? And I put in brackets, has a no movement clause because a lot of people did not know that. 83% say yes, 13% say no, and 4% say I'm angry. We always put I'm angry as an option for I d- everybody. Like, isn't, that, like, isn't that a default state of Canucks Twitter anger? Yeah, exactly. That's why we put it. We make sure it's in all of our poll questions. And, you know, 83% say yes. I'm kind of with them there. Like, I know the no movement clause isn't great, but what other option did they have, right? Like, it, it just... It looks like something... And, and you touched on this. It's something that they almost had to do because they didn't give Mikey a shot last year, and you just don't know if he's there. Like, he'll tell you he's there, but until I, I think he's, I think... He, I, and I
2: think internally there are people there that believe he will be there, but again, they just yeah, couldn't take that exactly. chance. Exactly, you so. can't
0: take the chance. So... Like
2: if he I, is there, I gotta say though that's
0: the one thing. If he
2: is there and he outplays and they don't have a choice and the contract's got to stay and it gets added on to next year, well, I guess the bonuses wouldn't. Yeah, be, the bonus like, wouldn't. Yeah, but still, like um, that's like a caught with your pants down moment. Yeah, but but at the same time, like like or we're probably being a little negative to say that that's possible. At the end of the day, um, like the track record, willing to believe that last year was a blip and still like the contract. I'm with the eighty three percent. I am team positivity today Uh, and I've had a really crap day. So I'm going to be honest (laughs) with you for me to be that positive about it um, and wait, like wait until like, I'm sure Yarrow's a Brian's guy, Chris Jaws, we act the pro rep. They're going to come up with like, this is not just going to be a set of white pads. Oh yeah. I'm not sure if Yarrow knows yet about the rule about no dark edges around the edge of the pads for Ian Clark. But he's predominantly a white guy, anyways, like white backdrop goaltending. But he'll come up with a sick graphic, custom design, uh, same company as as Di Pietro, so they can bond over that. I'm looking forward to that. Like just, I'm just team positive here. It's all. It's and be great. equipment manager Patty O'Neill is going to love this guy. Probably the only goaltender in the National Hockey League, and hopefully I don't get crap for telling st- stories out of turn here. Actually, buys his own equipment from Bryant's. So really? the Canucks' equipment budget is not going to be hit nearly as bad. Now maybe that changes here, that but my understanding no is clause. he was they saved that on pads. There you and go. If you've seen the cost of pads these days, if you're a goalie parent, you're nodding along as I say this. Faber's like, stop talking goaltending, <laughs> um, but you know how how, uh, how how much cost that is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that 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 explains the new movement clause. That there it is, right there. They'll make it back. Yeah, exactly. They'll make it back in goalie equipment. So, okay, I think we'll close out here. Faber's uh, still clenching his fist, holding the wheel very tightly as he drives home from Whistler, listening to this. Actually, I don't even know when he's coming home. I, I think he's here next week. We don't we don't talk much. We, in we, we just
2: uh, honestly like the way he left you hanging on this week. And I like, are you inviting
0: him back? I like I, I guess he he kind of I always introduce him as the man who built the place because he did I think 60 episodes of this without me kind of built it like I walked into a really good situation at Canucks combo and of course we, we've grown since I've joined like quite a bit but it was a really nice situation like we already had quite a few listeners when we started yeah, this but,
2: uh, yeah but yeah but I mean he wasn't leaving you at home by yourself when he went to Whistler back then that's either, true was he
0: that's true yeah he's changed he has changed It happens. It happens. It happens. Okay, we'll close out there. My thanks to Kevin Woodley for joining us on this episode. No thank you to Chris Faber. And thank you to all of you, the wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank
2: you, Jim?